Welcome back to Voices of the Body, the podcast. My name is Love Ashley Elaine, and I'm going to be your guide as we journey through healing our mind, body, and soul, listening to the conversation that our body is trying to have with us. This episode, we are starting our Voices of the Body book club. Yes, and we are starting with what is now one of my top favorite books. I finally finished it after almost a year because that's how intense it is. Uh, Yoga and the Dark Night of the Soul. I'm so excited to share all the gems that I've found in this book. Um, I love reading, but most importantly, I love being able to share the knowledge with other people. So you know the vibes, prepare your mind, body, and soul as we get into this episode. We're going to focus our breath work today on our solar plexus um, because we are diving into the dark night of the soul. I really want us to be able to draw attention to our belly area, our center, our soul, our fire, our desires, our where all of us live right in our soul. So I invite you to take a nice big inhale and exhale as you find a posture for your body that is comfortable that is inviting that will allow you to engage your breath comfortably without restriction or constriction Take a minute to find that posture laying down. It could be sitting in an easy seat posture um, and spine nice and long. Just any posture that allows your front body to be open, right? So when we think open, opening the front body, we think vulnerability. In this conversation that we'll have with our body today, we want to 
invite ourselves to be vulnerable with ourselves, right? Allowing vulnerability with our breath. Allowing vulnerability with our soul. And once you find that comfortable position, you have the space here to bring your gaze down your nose or close your eyes completely if you feel safe in your body and in your surroundings. Really allow the body to come into stillness and just drawing attention to any areas where you might be gripping, right? So like the, the buttocks, if you're gripping, give permission to the body to release. There's nothing that you need to hold on to. And take some releasing breath, so nice big inhale. And gently exhale, creating space in the body, releasing any tension or tightening. Nice big inhale. And exhale again, releasing any tightening or tensing. Last one, nice big inhale. And gently exhale. Feeling yourself melt into your seat if you're laying down, melting into the ground. Finding ease. I invite you to draw your attention to your core, wherever you consider the center of your body, wherever you consider where your soul lives because there is also where your willpower lives, where your fire lives, where all of your desires are home. So we'll take a nice big inhale as you feel up the belly like you're filling up a balloon, right? Even maybe bringing palms to the center of your body, the belly, allowing the breath to travel up to the heart space so we should feel our body expanding. Feel the heart space opening up, filling the rib cage opening up, bringing the breath to the top of our chest, right where the chest and the throat area begin to meet. And take your time gently exhaling, bringing that breath down through the chest, through the rib cage, back down to the belly. Well, bring in some heat. So bring your palms together, rubbing palms together. And place palms onto your belly or where you consider your center to be. 
And take another big inhale as you fill up the belly. Allowing the breath to move up through the rib cage, up through the chest and the heart center. Bringing it to the top of the throat or to the top of the chest, excuse me, where the throat and the chest meet. And this time on your exhale, gently allow the fire to come out. Right? There's balance that we can have in that fire. Right? Sometimes rage lives in that place. Sometimes anger lives in that place. Two more, three more rounds. Nice big inhale, bringing the hands towards the center, filling up the belly, bringing that breath all the way up through the rib cage to the heart space, allowing the breath to meet where our throat and the top of our chest meet one another. And on that exhale, allow the fire to be balanced out. I'm seeing dragons in this space, beautiful dragons just releasing fire, right? Learning how to contain and tame and control the emotional aspect of what lives in this space. Two more rounds, nice big inhale, filling up the belly, allowing the breath to come all the way up through the rib cage, through the heart space, coming to the top of the chest, the bottom of the throat, And as you gently exhale, releasing any fire. Beautiful. Last round, nice big inhale. Filling up the belly. Keeping your attention drawn to that space. Allowing that breath to continue working its way up through the heart space. Bringing the breath to meet where the top of the chest and the bottom of the throat begin to meet. And exhale, releasing the fire. And just come into a place of stillness where you allow yourself to investigate in that conversation that you just had with your body. What's different? What's changed? What's new? What are you noticing? What are you sensing? And what are you feeling?
And whenever you are ready, you can begin to deepen in the breath to come back into your space, come back into your body. Blinking the eyes open, wiggling toes and fingers, moving the neck from side to side. And then take some time to journal here what may have came up, what that felt like for you. Right. Yeah. And we will be right back. And welcome back to Voices of the Body. So um, I am very excited to uh, do like a book club version of the podcast this month. Um, when I started the podcast or when I was planning for the podcast, I like I knew that was something that I wanted to do. So here we are. Um, this particular book that we're going to be discussing is Yoga and the Dark Night of the Soul. Listen, I was introduced to this book um, after uh, my 300 hour last summer, and I didn't read it with the group on purpose because I wanted to read it by myself. I knew I was in a space where wherever i was at that point in time i wanted to be able to dive deeper into this book on my own not with a group um both and i knew i would come to a place where like i would share this book with people so i've shared it before in a yin and yoga nidra healing workshop that i did at a studio i taught at and i've had people like come to me and say i read the book it's amazing. It was confusing at first, but after a while, like I started to get it. And by then I hadn't even finished it. Um, since I've been out here in Cambodia, I've been able to finish it lots of time. And um, there's so many gems, so many gems. So disclaimer, 
if you are not a person that is open-minded to a sacred text other than the one that you subscribe to, probably not the space for you, right? And I don't even know if this is the podcast for you, honestly, because I... I I like I love learning about other cultures. I love learning about other um religions. I love learning about spirituality and I love philosophy. So this this might be hard for you to receive or perceive or however you want to dive into that. Um <sighs> I don't really know what else to say to that. Just, yeah, y'all know me. So, and also, um, this book comes from, like, the author, um, Simon Haas, wrote this book off of reading the Bhagavad Gita, which is a beautifully written sacred text um, that is about Arjana, who grew up to be an archer of an unequaled prowess and in a family right the king feared feared him warriors revered him and parents would tell their children of all the things that he's done right so there came a point where like now there's a war that seemed inevitable with all the kings and the earth taking sides there was just a lot of battle that was going to take place and this particular battle there Arjuna stood with family, cousins, brothers, all of it. Think about like your family right now, like everybody is fighting and going at it with one another. And you just don't understand why this is happening. And so now you fall into despair, right? Um, Krishna, who in my translation like my my body and my soul translation translates to um god so krishna is described here in this book um krishna is the complexion of a dark blue sapphire or a moonstone rain cloud and his beauty enchants the heart so sit with that right take that as you will to what you translate that to be um I think about like I think about like the 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 beauty of like the darkness but also the beauty of the light right the moonstone um and just all that God can encompass right all that God does encompass um also it describes krishna as dressed in armor and precious gems he's regal he's also steady and wise unwavering god is unwavering right so it's also describing um arjana he's tall he's handsome he's strong he's powerful right he's this heroic figure right he's this big strong person that is just like Ooh, like reading the description of Arjuna, I'm just like, listen, boom, where you at? Like you, you, you got the stats, right? He's from this beautifully, beautifully like royal family. 
he got money, like he's an archer, he sounds big and strong, he probably got muscles, like he sounds like that dude, right? Um, they even describe him as heroic with the gait of a lion. Idealized by the public, he's also a little brash and boastful. I know I know a couple dudes that fit that description too, right? Like you're not going to walk around knowing how to be an archer and come from this banging family and, you know, your chest is all puffed out. You got muscles, you tall, you handsome, and you know it. You know you're strong and powerful and you're not going to be boastful, right? So I'm trying to break this down and put it into terms of how we might see ourselves, how we might see the people around us, just bringing it into real life, right? So. Arjuna and um, Krishna are cool. Krishna is Arjuna's chariot, like driver, right? So again, take that as you will. Who's in the driver's seat of your life, right? If it's you, then we have a problem. If it's God, then allow yourself to dig deeper into this space, right? Um. So. Continuing reading on page 28, right? It says, There, among the great generals and kings of the earth on both sides, Arjuna sees his teachers, uncles, cousins, father-in-law, grandfather, brothers, nephews, sons, grandsons, and friends, setting eyes on those he holds most dear, ready to forsake their lives. Arjuna hesitates. Again, think about that last big family get together, all like all the men in your family are ready to go to war, whether it's over land, whether it's over jewelry, whether it's over like Big Mama's estate, like think about soul food, right? He suddenly grasped the horror, the full horror of what he's about to do, right? So now he's he's part of like this, all these people, all the all his family on this field that are about to fight, right? And remember, he's an archer. So he could easily, and as boastful as they, you know, talk about him to be, bro, one hit a quitter, and he can do what needs to be done, get the job done, and call it quits, right? But all of a sudden, it says he oh, he's overcome by grief, and Arjuna's world begins to collapse in crisis. He's trying to figure out, like, why are we doing this? I don't understand. But I also don't understand what just happened to me. Like, I just collapsed in grief on the field in front of my family who my family also sees me as this, this lion, right? This big, strong, powerful person. And all of a sudden now I'm weakened, right? Arjuna turns to his friend Krishna. For the first time, he begins calling into question his strongly held beliefs. So take a minute and think about those moments where all of a sudden you just feel like I can't take it anymore. And now you're questioning everything. You're questioning what you once believed in, who you once thought that you were, right? How other people saw you, 
what your story is right what like like how you how you show up right and i'm pretty sure at this point he's questioning like am i really strong am i really a lion am i really like powerful like what is happening to me right now then it goes on to say does he really care for victory right because remember people who are boastful they always want to win like all they do is eat sleep and drink winning how to win keeping that same skill set right again he's an archer you know what archery is that like that i just watching people do that that's a whole skill in itself that's a different kind of level of strength that's a different kind of level of focus that's a different kind of level of ability right it makes me think about um um what's his name in the bible who had the rock y'all forgive me I know my Bible. I just, there's names all over the place, right? But it took him one rock to kill a giant, right? But he wasn't boastful. He was like, we know his story. I'm just thinking about similarities in skill, right? Because we didn't see what, what David was doing before that one rock hit that giant, right? Um, it goes on to say that no. Arjuna doesn't care about victory anymore, not at this cost anyway, right? So it's now like, okay, what is the cost of victory if it's if it means sacrificing me having to sacrifice my family, right? And sacrificing my family as in killing them, being a part of war with them. Is he even entitled to fight and slay the sons of the elderly? Is he not sure anymore in spite of their um, ambition and deceit will killing them lead to happiness he doesn't believe it will right an archer a fighter he's a he's a fighter he's a soldier right but when it comes to being on the literal battlefield and seeing that he'd have to kill his family to gain what it is that he's trying to gain grief comes over him right so then it goes on to say and quote i do not deserve victory nor a kingdom nor happiness what is the use of pleasure or purpose in living he declares arjuna is reeling from the shock of one who has suddenly seen the falsehood of his perception and thus the madness of the world now we're getting to the root of the dark night of the soul he is now entering in and experiencing the dark night of his soul because he is now questioning what is the point of all of this and not what is the point of life what is the point of like purpose right who have i been right like there's this space where in the dark night of your soul you will question who you currently are and who you've been up to that space, right? So it's like, what's the purpose in how I've been living? Is this even worth it, right? Like grief will bring you to that place. 
So we see here, like, the dark night of the soul is a term that's used to describe a collapse of perceived meaning in life. This is what Arjana now faces. His narrative or life story has suddenly been ruptured by events. All his notions of who he is and what he is supposed to do have fallen around him and he is cast adrift in darkness. Everything now looks void and meaningless. Imagine, imagine you've been doing something and being a, a, a certain person for so long, carrying this demeanor, right? Carrying this persona for so long and you're put into a place where now you're being challenged in that space. Like your whole being is being challenged. And you're just like, wait a minute, hold up. Why am I now questioning who I am? And why does who I am not even feel good? It feels meaningless. It feels hopeless, right? And it's not saying you the person, right? The meaning of the dark night of the soul is to engage in transformation, right? It's to bring you to a place where you, yes, question who you've been, how you've been living, what story you've adopted, what story you've allowed yourself to to live, right? I always say um, the victim mindset, right? Y'all hear me say it all the time. And like, I just recently learned that it's okay for repetition to be a thing because we're unlearning certain things, right? So when you're learning something, you have to repeat it over and over again. It's the same thing with unlearning, right? When you're unlearning something, you need to hear it over and over again so that you're reprogramming your body. Go back to episode one of the whole entire podcast. I think it's episode one. Whatever episode we're talking about reprogramming your body, right? This is where that happens, right? So he's now snapped from any strength, any will, any, any, any power of who he has always seen himself to be and also who others have always seen to be again. We see that he's been described to be this just handsome, strong, and powerful, valid, heroic person that like they compare him to a lion, right? Think about the characteristics of a lion. And now he's falling to his knees on this field in public. Just hold on to that because we'll tap into that, right? in public, on the battlefield, right? And says with, a, with his eyes full of tears, I shall not fight. And then just goes completely silent. He feels helpless. He's unable to pull himself out of what he's feeling, right? The grief of like this instant release of, of who he's always seen himself to be right this grief of oh my god all my family and i are here and we're we're about to fight like i was about to kill my family members my family right 
So let's tap into the public portion of this, right? It says, then suddenly, then sudden crisis, this sudden crisis, excuse me, that Arjana experiences doesn't occur in the privacy of his home or within a solitary forest during his exile. It happens in the middle of a battlefield at the most critical time of action. This is a very public meltdown in front of all of his family, all of the kings of the earth, who look on at this unexpected turn of events in utter disbelief. If ever there was a personal crisis, it doesn't get much more dramatic than this. It's with this acute crisis that the Bhagavad Gita, which is one of the most important yoga texts from ancient India, begins. So this is how we end up getting the birth of the Bhagavad Gita, which the Bhagavad Gita goes into um, how to really live a yogic life, right? And The Dark Night of the Soul, this book, really drills down on that a little bit deeper, right? I wanted to sit here, let's park for a minute at this space of public despair, right? I think there's something that humbles you a little bit deeper when despair is public, right? When the things that you endure are public. Um for some reason and we'll we'll read it deeper in like when we get towards the end of this book it talks about how in india there's no hiding when we're in pain there's no hiding when we're going through grief there's no hiding when we're in despair there's something in like Western culture that tells us, oh my God, I have to, I have to, I have to make sure that I'm like primed and primped and that um my shoulders are are wide and that I'm I'm showing up to be and to do and all the things and that my Instagram and my Facebook and my TikTok and my social media don't show that I'm in pain, don't show that I'm this, don't show that I'm that right there's a difference between crying victim and looking for sympathy all the time and then there's a and then there's that other side of the page where it's like listen i'm human i'm gonna go through stuff just like everybody else i'm gonna make some dumb decisions just like everybody else I hurt just like everybody else. I endure pain just like everybody else. I make bad relationship decisions just like everybody else. Hell, I probably, I make bad career choices just like everybody else, right? There's this thing where like perfection has been adopted, but it's not realistic. And if we, if we if we if we continue to cultivate spaces where we can allow people to come like the church says come as you are right and some churches are cool with you coming as you are until you like are having a hard time uncoming unbecoming that is it unbecoming no uncoming 
unveiling that person to become who God has created you to be, not who your parents created to be, created you to be, and not who the church wants you to be, right? But who God has created your spirit to be. This is why understanding spirituality different from religion, in my opinion, is very important because religion helps hold us accountable. It's also tradition. It's also longstanding um, cultural concepts and and things that, that keep us afloat day to day, right? Instructions, guidance, all of those things. And then there's spirituality where it's relationship with God, where it's understanding who I have divinely been created to be, right? Who I need to be to fulfill whatever it is that I'm meant to be doing, right? So when, oh, that was echoing. When we when we blend the two, right, it can get tricky, right? Then people start having their judgments and, oh, you can't be this and that and all these other things. You can't read this. You can't read that. Says who? If it's feeding my spirit and it's growing me and it's awakening me and I'm not harming anybody, I'm not forcing it down anybody else's throat, I'm not making it like my savior, right? I think we we forget what idols really are, right? Because you can make you can make your yoga practice an idol. You can make school an idol. You can like anything that you give more attention to other than uh like your higher power. Anything that you put before that is an idol. Anything that you constantly bring into worship is an idol, right? Without acknowledgement of your higher power. You can make money an idol. I need, I need, I need, I want, I want, I want, I worship, I worship, I worship. I'll do, I'll still kill, destroy for it, right? So I wanted to park there for a minute because, like, it's something with the United States. I, it ain't that much united. Like I don't it, but there's like there's other cultures around the world that accept public grief, that accept public, uh, like let go of like being authentic in your pain. And whatever seed has been planted to where we have to like be so perfect and not expose our pain, right? Like there's no there's no real balance in it. We either have people crying victim all the time. I just thought about a, like a whole bunch of different people I know and instances that has happened. Like, yeah, leave that there. And then the other side of it is, no, I'm fine. Let me do my makeup, do this filter and do my hair and make sure everybody sees on Instagram that I'm good. I kid you not. I'm, I'm not that person. Like y'all should know that by now. Right. 
So as we now get into the Dark Knight of the Soul, um, chapter one, which is the story and the storyteller, the author really goes through like some really good examples of different people who end up moving into their version of their Dark Knight of the Soul, right? Some of it is coming from the loss of a job. Some of it is a, a relationship divorce um and these are things that can trigger that right especially i think what i think what what's missing is when you allow these things to be your identity right so that relationship could definitely have been an idol could definitely have been your identity so now it's like well who am i who was I before? Whose life was I living before? And whose life am I supposed to be living? Right? You can be in a dark night of your soul experience for a very long time and not even know it. Right? I've, I'm going to go even a step further and believe that you can be born into it. Right? And then over time, like you start to realize, oh, this doesn't, some don't feel right. Like, I keep feeling this, that, and the third, and I'm reading this, that, and the third, and all, like, all these different things, right? Um, let's see, where else do I want to go? Yeah. So here on page 36, the author says, we take our stories extremely seriously. Right. So taking which there's a practice in like detaching yourself. So who are you? Not the mother, not the father, not the chemist, not the yoga teacher, not the you know, who are you? Right. Because all of these all of these titles can be stripped. Right. Um, he says, we take our, our stories extremely seriously. We're prepared to fight for them, even lose friends over them. We carry that story with us wherever we go. We can't escape it. Our story is the script from which our life unfolds. So much of our story is inherited and then enforced, coerced, and impressed upon us by society from a very young age. Pause. I think for parents, that's why it's so important for us to really allow our children to explore and really get to know who they are. And we we pay attention to that, what they gravitate to. We steward them. We're not there. We're not the person that is supposed to be like, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. Like, this is who you're supposed to be. And it's like, nah, kid. Like, my son has played soccer. We tried lacrosse. We tried basketball. We tried kickboxing. We tried taekwondo. And taekwondo stuck. Unfortunately, he had to stop. Um, Well, the summer had came, and he was going to his dad's for the summer, and then whatever else happened after that. But we found his thing. So now there's talks of football. And I'm just like, bro, you didn't even want to play soccer because you didn't like getting hurt. Right. So I have to be OK with that because that like not that I'm I'm putting this energy out there on him, 
but whatever forces are saying to him, you need to play football, right? Doesn't understand that the reason why he didn't want to play soccer anymore is because he kept getting hurt. He scored goals, but he didn't like running into the other kids, like falling and getting hurt. Like he wasn't, he was like, I don't want to play anymore because I don't want to keep getting hurt. He was really good at it. He just didn't want to get hurt anymore. Cool. Fine. Whatever forces, outside forces that are outside of him that are pushing on him to do football for whatever reason, whatever purpose, let the powers that be expose that he is not with it. He's not with it. My son is also a very emotionally intelligent child and very in tune with his emotions. He's very much like his mother will emote and feel all of his feels with no with no care in the world of how you're going to see it. Right? Some people aren't comfortable with that, but that's not his problem, that's that person's problem, right? And most of the people that are uncomfortable with my son being that way are also adults. Grown adults are uncomfortable with my 10-year-old son being able to feel all of his feelings and not hide them, not pretend that they don't exist, not stuff them, not any of that, right? So when we come back to where it says from a young age, we're told what to be like, how to behave, what to want, and what to hope for, and what to fear, right? Those are seeds that are already being planted. So think about your own life, right? What are you afraid of that someone told you you should be afraid of, right? Like all of these stories that we've been told to adopt are now a part of us in our big adult bodies with these still childlike fears. When in almost every sacred text that I've um, read, right, mostly the Bible, we're being asked to have childlike faith, right? So if we're being, if we're given fed, if we're being fed the seed to fear as a child, as an adult, we're not able to have childlike faith, right? Because now we're scared of everything. We're scared of doing things by ourselves. We're scared to go out the country. We're scared to explore. We're scared to leave our job. We're scared to do these things. But it's irritating the mess out of you. It's frustrating you. It's making you sad all the time, right? Sit with that for a little bit. Um, then it continues to say we internalize these ideas often unthinkingly. So now we're not thinking about the fear that has been installed in us. Now it's just us. Now we're just fearful children. Well, adults. Right. Because as a child, we were told to be in fear of X, Y and Z. So when we talk about racism. Right. There's that um, video that floats around the little black kid, and the little white kid, the two little boys, they hug each other. They're friends. They're they're friends. Right. It has to start somewhere in childhood where that Caucasian little boy is told, oh, no, you're supposed to be afraid of them. That Caucasian little girl is being told, oh, no, you're supposed to be afraid of black boys. Right? 
because then now now we become big adults afraid of this stereotype of people and places and things like all of that right um then it says we come to believe we are what we wear what we drive what we watch and what we watch it on right so now it's i am these materialistic things but what if they go away tomorrow right who are you we work very hard to keep up appearances again coming back to like checking my Instagram and I'm making sure that I have a filter on every time. There's that one filter that I really, really like. I really, really like it. I only use that one filter, but I haven't used it in a while because I don't see it anymore. Um, we work hard to keep up appearances. We try to live up to so many expectations and pressures. I don't want to live like that. <laughs> it's exhausting. I don't, I already don't like doing what other people tell me to do. So to have to keep up appearances for other people and all these other things is a lot. It's a lot. I'd rather you see my come up story than for you to see me struggling to try and like keep up with what you're doing. And I don't even know what your struggle is on, my, on the other side of that camera. I'd rather you see my come up story. I'd rather you see me struggle. I'd rather you see all of my like all of my story because then you can sit back and be like dang she really like overcame all of that right instead of like i'm struggling to keep up with what you driving what you're wearing like where you would like all these things that just don't matter like it don't matter quick story because i love telling stories so I was sitting in the hospital with my grandmother and Janae Aiko just came out with her own line of sound bowls. They're gorgeous. Oh, they are beautiful. And I want to hear what they sound like too. So I got the email in and I'm just like, Ooh, yay. And I'm like scrolling through the website. I'm like, I open it up. I'm open. I'm looking at the website. And I'm like, oh my God, these are so beautiful. Oh my God, look at that. Oh, look at that color. Oh, they come in different sizes. Oh, I wonder what that, oh, this is gorgeous. Oh, I want to see these. And my grandmother's like, oh, what you looking at? Some shoes? And I was like, no, I'm looking at some healing stuff. And she was like, what? She was like, that, that sounds like how you would talk if you found some shoes on sale. I was like, granny, I've matured. Do I love shoe shopping? Absolutely. Do I love shopping at Express? Absolutely. I'm trying to get them to let me be an ambassador for them. I also love sound bowls. I also love things that help me heal, right? Those sound bowls were gorgeous. But I share that story to say like, once upon a time, I was all about oh and she thought it was a bag that's what it was she thought it was a bag too because but I woke up one day and was like I don't really want another purse right and the purses I do want 
I know I can buy them, but then what? Like, what kind of experience are they gonna give me? What kind of life are they gonna give me, right? I'll get to that place, but spending money on another handbag is not gonna do anything for me. It's gonna make me feel good in the moment, right? Even if somebody else buys it for me. Like, there was a person I got for my birthday two years ago. I was excited, I kinda knew I was getting it, but then it was like, okay, the hype is over, right? At some point, we have to start reshifting our own story and our own narrative. So this, we're gonna, okay, so then I'll finish up here because this is getting very long. So what happens when event, so what happens when events challenge our story so profoundly that we can no longer hold on to it? What happens if our stories collapse? We are propelled into deep darkness and despair. We find ourselves cast adrift in a world without meaning. This is a dark night experience, a crisis of despair. This is exactly what happened to Arjana on the battlefield. Some places that this can happen, um, is in abusive relationships again the death of a loved one um the ending of a relationship the ending of a job like wherever there's like a huge transition place right that is happening in your life that is asking you to reevaluate who you are without these things, without this person, without this experience, without this story, is the dark night of the soul. Right. Um, so it talks about suffering, right? We suffer in the future, which is the fear. We suffer in the past, which is lamenting over and over again about what has happened. Um, and I believe that there's some things in our past that we need to like go back and grab if they're going to be like helping us learn, right? There's nothing back there that we need people, places, or things. It's the gems that we are learning that we're taking with us. And then the present moment confusion, right? Um, so next week, I want to dive deeper into, um, where is it? Where, uh, Krishna gives Arjuna the yoga teachings for crossing the dark night of the soul, right? Um, it goes into setting out on the journey of the soul, letting every step be its own reward, let discernment be the warrior sword and let sacred love be your only goal. Um, so yes, but I would, I would love for you all to sit on and I'm going to put it in the Patreon for us to kind of discuss around, right? What happens to you in the midst of transition right like when events come and challenge who we are and what story we've been living 
what does that look like for you, right? What is your story? Think about what is your current story? And is it one that you are truly and deeply invested in and happy in? Does it feel like your authentic soul story? Yeah. What is your story? And does it feel like your true authentic soul story? Yeah. Oh, this is so much fun. Y'all just be letting me talk. Y'all just be letting me talk. I love it though. Um, yeah. So next week we will dive deeper into that question and all of those great things that Arjuna is starting to teach Krishna about how to get through that soul's journey and come out on the other side exactly where you need to be. All right. I love you all for free. Until next time, take care. <laughs>